Hello and welcome to Behind the Headlines for the week ending August 28, 2020. I'm Michael Kern from the Ottawa Business Journal. Behind the Headlines is a podcast from OBJ to explore the most read local business stories of the week. Once again, I'm joined by my two colleagues, Peter Cavessi and David Sally. In today's podcast, we'll take a look at three important stories. Uh, first off, a new report on the state of Ottawa's economy. Second, COVID-19 rule changes that could help the meeting and convention sector. And finally, an Ottawa startup that is pursuing uh, carbon capture technology. So let's go right now behind the headlines and start with number one. Uh, Peter, we're going to start with you. Um, a big week for OBJ, uh, the Board of Trade and uh, Welch. Uh, all those organizations are partners in a project called the Ottawa Business Growth Survey. This is a big annual survey we do and uh, it really looks into a couple key factors including local business confidence uh, as well as some related economic data tell us a little bit about the big reveal we did on thursday so we had a uh, big virtual event uh, we had uh, economists market researchers and investors uh, all uh, analyzing the results of the uh, welch llp ottawa business growth survey as well as sharing their own insights into the uh, the state of the uh, the economy both here in ottawa as well as in the context of the canadian economy uh, i sum up their, uh, their conclusions uh, could be uh, in one word bifurcation um one of our uh, uh, something we heard repeatedly is that uh, companies could almost be into one of two categories those that are continuing to do okay or even a little bit better than okay and those that are still struggling uh, to paraphrase our uh, our keynote speaker uh, michelle romano a big uh, canadian tech investor as well as one of the uh, the dragons on cbc's dragon's den uh, we've almost uh, divided our economy into companies that are dependent on bringing large numbers of people together and those where can uh, can um, uh, deal with their customers uh, and uh, employees uh, re remotely. Um, that's a bit of a, a, a colorful uh, take on it, uh, but uh, that was one of the uh, the major takeaways that uh, that I had when I first started looking at the results of the uh, of the survey that uh, that we did. Is just there. There is this large dichotomy. Um, just one example: we ask uh, uh, business leaders about their hiring intentions, and you know, certainly the picture overall is nowhere near as rosy as uh, it has been in uh, in previous years. But what really struck me is that you still have just as many companies saying they plan to expand their employee headcount as those that say that they need to uh, introduce some reductions. It's a similar story when we're talking or when we asked about uh, revenues and uh, net profits, you really have companies, uh, almost an equal number of companies saying um, we're still growing, things are, are still um, looking good uh, uh, ahead, and those that are saying uh, we're having a, a really, uh, really tough time. It's, what's interesting as well is that uh, this also has implications for our uh, broader economic uh, re recovery. Um, there's some suggestions that this divide is only going to get uh, even, even further. You have some companies that are really in a position to totally reinvent some, uh, some business categories, you know, to pick up uh, on, uh, on an easy one. You have uh, in e-commerce uh, companies that are getting into like grocery delivery. There's so many of our like activities that it's likely going to be a long time uh, before we go back to the way things were, if ever. And you have these companies that are, uh, are potentially really poised to see some explosive growth as they, again, totally reinvent these activities that have been disrupted from, uh, from COVID-19. Um, yeah, it, it, I thought it was interesting. Um, by the way, I love that word bifurcation that you used there. I'll have to 
try to work that into my vocabulary a little bit more. Um, but there is a giant schism, you know. And in fact, uh, let's move on to story, uh, story number two, uh, Dave, and we'll go to you on this. Yeah, it, it, it's a perfect segue. Um, not Dave's going to you're going to speak about the tourism industry, but more specifically, <clears throat> you know, these sectors um, aren't all the same, and and they're uh, they're assemblies of different types of companies. So even in uh, tourism, Dave, I suspect we'll see you know some rebound in hotel occupancy, but we're going to talk about meetings and conventions. That one's a lot more tricky, right? So people might travel and need temporary accommodations, um, but will people come together physically? Um, so Dave, uh, anyway, let's get down to the story at hand. Um, there was a rule change that allows um, meeting and convention facilities to have more people in their facility in a safe way. Tell us about uh, what that means. Right, Mike. Well, exactly. Uh, so last uh, late last week the province changed its rules regarding um meetings and convention spaces when when the when it moved to phase three uh last month the province initially said that convention centers like the shaw center the infinity center would only be allowed to have 50 people in the entire building at any given time not counting staff members um well, last week the the, the promise changed things a bit. They uh, they felt like things were um, things were moving along safely enough um, in in terms of physical distancing and the rest that they could up that limit to fifty people per each individual meeting room in a facility. So, what does that mean for for venues like the Shaw Center? Well, I talked to uh, to Nina Kressler the other day. She is the president and CEO of the Shaw Center. Um, and you know, she's been in the job for about five years. So she's, you know, she's seen the boom times of 2017, Canada 150, when the Shaw Center was jam packed with all kinds of events. And she was really initially expecting 2020 to be even better. They were aiming for a banner year. They had more than 50 events booked at the Shaw Center, which would have been a record. And Things were looking great. They were expecting 63,000 out-of-town visitors, $19 million in projected revenues. Well, obviously, oh, overnight, uh, when, the, when the province shut down the convention centers in March, all that disappeared. So for the rest of the summer, uh, she had to lay off most of her staff temporarily. So last week, when she got this news that the that the meeting spaces, uh, you know, that the, the that the capacity limits would be raised, that came as very welcome news. She said, um, you know, they've already been hearing from, uh, they've been getting quite a few inquiries uh, from groups looking to book meeting space this fall. So she thinks it's going to help uh, somewhat for the rest of the year. It's not going to make up, it's not even going to come close to making up for that shortfall, but at least, especially once, Kids start getting back to school once we see what that means in terms of infection rates, um, that more people will start thinking about business again. And, um, you know, when she's really hoping that that will kind of trigger a bit of a rebound. And she says that her staff's already seeing, you know, bookings for next year, that, that people are rescheduling the events they would have had uh, coming to the Shaw Center this year. They're now changing, saying we'll come next year instead. So she thinks 2021 is going to be a pretty strong year. Nonetheless, she, you know, she says it's going to be 
three or four years at least before that international business, those conferences from the US and other countries really start to come back. And uh, she says it's probably going to be, I mean, uh, whether and when a vaccine, uh, an effective vaccine um, really comes into play, uh, that's when you're going to start to really see those numbers pick up again. Uh, yeah, Dave, it, it, you know, it was a bit depressing, to be honest, reading uh, the GM's comments about how we were about to set a record year and, you know, we wanted to ramp up business at the Shaw Center. It's been a big business issue. And, and uh, obviously, through a lot of hard work, they were making a change to that. And uh, poof, you know, it just vanished overnight. Um, Peter, I want, want to get your take on this. Uh, OBJ also checked in uh, with another, uh, besides Shaw Center, checked in with another Canada meeting convention space. What did they have to say about these COVID-19 rule changes around 50 people uh, in various rooms? So over at the uh, the, the Brook Street, uh, the general manager there said the immediate impact would actually be felt more on the, the social side, so specifically weddings. So those will likely be some of the first events to uh, to come back now that these um, rules have been relaxed. The picture on the uh, the, the corporate side, the, I should say, the uh, the business meetings and uh, conventions side uh, is a little more uh, un uncertain. So there is this question of just because um, uh, a business is able to uh, have these larger uh, meetings and, uh, and other corporate events, will they want to? Is there going to be comfort uh, in, uh, in still uh, bringing uh, these people uh, together for, um, uh, for these events? Um, but also, interestingly, picking up on something that Dave said, uh, there's this idea that um, we're really going to, to to get an answer to that question in a few weeks once uh, the calendar is firmly uh, turned over into uh, into September. Uh, everyone's back from vacation. Uh, uh, business decisions are, are being made. There's this uh, perception. I swear it feels like it's been growing uh, over the last uh, decade or so that, uh, that a lot of business decisions aren't made over the summer. And uh, once uh, once everyone is back in uh, in, in, in fall, that's when um, businesses will be deciding whether or not to uh, be uh, holding these offsite uh, corporate events again. Hmm. Um, yeah, I think, again, those comments were bang on, right? It's probably the local social events that might be able to come back to meeting convention. You know, if there was a major convention plan for the Shaw Center, uh, they're not going to, you know, go ahead with their conventions because of this rule change. They're more likely to rescheduled down the road. Anyway, Dave, uh, let's get to our third story. Really in interesting story about a startup uh, that is working on something called carbon capture technology and uh, really trying to, uh, to develop some innovative, uh, uh, innovative approach to it. So tell us about, tell us about this company. Yeah, Mike. Uh, well, like you say, it's almost, uh, it's uh, almost like something, um, something, you know, out of a science fiction movie, in a sense. Uh, um, and I mean, uh, in layman's terms, it's, um, it's, 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 you know, one of those things that it's, it's, it's kind of hard to get your head around in a sense, but in a nutshell, uh, this company in, um, uh, here in Ottawa that was just launched uh, last year called Planetary Hydrogen, is, um, it's looking at a way to actually, it's, 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 it's found a way to capture carbon dioxide from the atmosphere and actually turn it as a byproduct of this process, create hydrogen, which can be used as a clean, uh, clean burning fuel. So it's, it's a really interesting process. And the guy behind it, Mike Kelland, 
is actually an um, he's a he's a mechanical engineer by by trade, and he was in the software business. He's a, a bit of a serial entrepreneur, and has had several companies. When he sold his last one, he said, "I want to find a climate unicorn." That that means he wanted to find technology that can fight climate change and have global market potential to actually uh, sell its products. Well, he thinks he's got it with this with this new concept. Planetary Hydrogen is the company, and what it does is uh, he and some of his colleagues they uh, they got together with some marine scientists uh, and some and backing from the Capital Angel Network uh, as well as a Toronto-based VC. Uh, to uh, to start working on technology that that speeds up a natural process um, of removing carbon dioxide from the atmosphere that that occurs not, as as he says in nature it's a geological process whereby um, carbon dioxide gets dissolved into rainwater the rain falls rocks absorb the carbon dioxide over time uh, that creates another substance of bicarbonate, kind of like baking soda. If you want to, if you want to uh, give a comparison, it's washed into the ocean where the carbon dioxide ends up on the ocean floor. So that's a natural way of taking carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere. The problem is that takes hundreds of thousands of years on its own. So what planetary hydrogen has done, they figured out a way to speed up this process using electricity. They, um, they basically uh, they send an electric current through ocean water that splits up the water molecules into hydrogen and oxygen. Um, that uh, and that creates um, a byproduct uh, called um, uh, called mineral hydro- hydroxide, which then binds with the carbon dioxide. Uh, I know this is kind of sounding like a Bill Nye, the science guy, kind of lecture, but but uh, but in a nutshell. That's that's how it works. So you kind of have to be a scientist to really understand the nuts and bolts of it. But the bottom line is it, it sucks carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere. And as a byproduct, it creates hydrogen, which can actually be a very lucrative, um, uh, sub, uh, like a, a lucrative product. And that's where the market potential comes in. Kellen is an environmentalist, but he's also a businessman. And he sees plenty of upside in this hydrogen byproduct because hydrogen uh, is already a $150 billion global industry. But, it, uh, but a lot of um, environmentalists and inter- energy agencies, they believe it's only just scratching the surface uh, here, that it could be worth 10 times that in, a, in another 30 years because of its potential as a green energy alternative uh, in cases where Electric power, for example, isn't feasible, like jet aircraft or um, big transport ships. Uh, hydrogen uh, can probably be an effective substitute for petroleum, uh, as, as well as in other processes like fuel used in, in making steel. So, and and uh, uh, so so there could be a huge potential market for hydrogen, which is the main byproduct. Of this uh, of this carbon capture process, so uh, so Kellen really sees it as a win-win on two fronts. Uh, he, he thinks this technology can help the environment and produce a new greener fuel. So um, it's really interesting. They're now working on a test uh, project. They're setting up in Halifax near the ocean, and they think within the next three or four years they'll really have a good handle on on whether it's going to be able to work 
on a mass scale. And in the meantime, they're trying to get more funding uh, to really step up the testing and see. Now, it's going to be, they're years away yet from commercializing this, but, um, but, but uh, Kellen told me he really thinks that there's going to be a lot of potential in this technology. It's a, no doubt it's a giant idea. And, and if the technology ever worked, you know, uh, it, it could become a unicorn. Uh, it's a big idea and, and big potential. Listen, we're going to start wrapping up. Peter, uh, give us a sense of, of what's coming up at OBJ. So we're going to be uh, continuing to release some of the key results from the uh, the Welch LLP Ottawa Business Growth Survey that we uh, spoke about uh, earlier. So we're going to be uh, releasing some of the findings. And of course, we want to uh, be letting people know that, uh, of course, they can see some of that on obj.ca. But to read the entire report and all the findings, you can go to ottawabusinesssurveyreport.ca to get a, a full copy. Okay, ottawabusinesssurveyreport.ca, long URL, but but pretty straightforward. Uh, and I understand we're, we're still working on a, on a major project, uh, annual project, the Book of Lists. So we're, we're looking to uh, add companies to uh, work with us to update their, their listings and research. Is that right? This is the largest research project uh, that uh, that OBJ undertakes. So it's a survey of uh, hundreds and hundreds of uh, local companies. Our researcher Lisa Thibodeau is um, right, probably in the uh, the midway point of that. So please uh, keep your eyes out uh, for uh, for an email from. Uh, from Lisa. Uh, and as well, um, you can go to obj.ca to uh, share your information to make sure that your company is included uh, in the uh, the next edition of the Book of Lists. Great. Cool. Uh, that's all the time we have uh, for today. Thank you very much, Peter and Dave, for being part of the show. Uh, of course, I want to point out to everyone that you can listen to the podcast on uh, Spotify and other uh, platforms such as SoundCloud. Uh, you can watch uh, this uh, podcast on OBJ's YouTube channel. And uh, as, as always, we encourage everyone to subscribe to OBJ Today, a weekday uh, email newsletter sent out by OBJ to stay on top of all of the headlines, uh, not just the ones we're uh, highlighting in the show. So that's it uh, for today. Uh, I'm Michael Curran signing off on behalf of my colleagues, uh, Peter and Dave. I uh, hope to see you real soon.